Hello, everybody, and welcome to Buckaroo Holiday. Today, I think I'm going to... What's that? You hear that? What the hell? Hang on a sec. Outside there, milling around, touching things. I've seen this before. I know what this is. This is an insurrection. Buckaroo Holiday! 
Gates of Eden doing a cover of Ray Davies Too Much On My Mind originally recorded by the Kinks of course and then before that Judas Priest Breaking the Law the thing about Judas Priest is that um, when they were really having their heyday I wasn't into that kind of music I was into metal when I was a kid I mean metal at the, what was metal at the time was like you know Alice Cooper and uh, Black Sabbath and you know that's what they called it then but by the time bands like Priest and Iron Maiden came around I was listening to all kinds of other stuff and it seemed kind of stupid to me I didn't pay attention to it then later I had a brief period where I was listening to stuff like Venom and uh, Megadeth and stuff anyway it's been in recent years that I've come around to the Judas Priest hit singles and to Judas Priest fans you know if you listen to stuff like Breaking the Law there or um, Living After Midnight or whatever you're, you're, you're a lame-o, you know, because uh, it's not the, you know, the really good stuff like Hellion, Electric Eye, that kind of stuff, you know, but I've come to think that those Judas Priest singles are great hard rock singles, right up there with stuff like School's Out and uh, Highway Star and things like that, you know. Anyhow, here we are into another Buckaroo Holiday. Those of you who are in the Patreon, I hope you enjoyed the Kitty Music Show. I've heard from some of you about that. You seem to dig it. And I got a backlog of commissions coming. I've uh, been hung up with a lot of things. Um, and I, I keep telling you this, but anyway, just in case people don't listen to every show, I have to repeat stuff. I just tend to repeat stuff anyway. But a few of the upcoming uh, commission things are going to be in the Patreon only for various reasons. Some of them are adjunct things to commission shows that are already aired and some of them are specialty commissions one of them is going to be kind of uh, adults only so that one's going to be in the patreon just to keep me out of trouble i hope 
I also wanted to tell anyone who's listening to this who is a member of the Patreon or considering it, um, I'm probably going to be donating part of the money I made from the Patreon to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Okay, I want you to know that because I don't want me you, if, if it's something you don't like, if it's a cause you don't go for, I want you to know that uh, that's where some money's going so you can omit yourself or whatever. They raise money to help the families of military personnel and first responders who've died or injured military and first responders who need special equipment, special home modifications, things like that. It's a worthy cause, and I'm going to be doing a monthly donation to them, and it's going to come out of the Patreon. So if you're into that, fine. If you're not, yank your Patreon. Yank this. <laughs> For those of you curious about Miles, his casts came off yesterday, and it uh, seems like everything is going well, but he's almost in tougher shape than he was before, because without the cast, without the walking casts on his legs, getting around his really difficult and uh it's tough it's uh, got a ways to go and uh, i know you're all pulling for him and i appreciate it i think i'll get to some music now and i'll i'll yap more later in fact i have a little bit of a yap spiel coming up about the song that's just now starting and here i'm going to play the mick card a song called the wild mountain time coming and the trees are sweetly blooming and the wild mountain tide grows around the purple heather will you go
pick wild mountain time all around the blooming heather will you go lassie go ah the wild mountain time lovely thing isn't it i think so that song is one of those numbers that makes me weep. I can hardly ever hear it without getting choked up, uh, sometimes to the point of sobbing. There's a few songs like that. I've played some of them here before. My Cup Runneth Over is one of those. There's a few of them. And that one really gets to me. And I'll tell you a few things about it. There's a few points I want to make regarding that song. It's a song that was recorded by hundreds and hundreds of artists. There were a lot of really great versions of it, a lot of crappy ones, but really a lot of really touching ones. I chose that one, which was by uh, The Chieftains, with Don Williams singing from an album called Further Down the Old Plank Road, which was a collaboration, series of collaborations The Chieftains did with American country artists. Pretty nice stuff, Chet Atkins and everything. Clearly the you know connection between American country and Irish music is pretty direct. I think that version enhances the sentimentality of the song by not over-saturating in it, if you know what I mean. It's sung with a kind of a dry approach that I think makes the inherent sentimentality of the song a lot more effective. Just my take. I'm sure that one reason for my response to songs like this is because I'm Irish. That particular melancholy sentimentality that Irish music is steeped in, a lot of it is, really gets to me because I was raised with it, of course. But I also think there's something about Irish music that that just conveys that. Naturally, growing up with my parents, uh, my father was from Ireland and we heard this music all the time. Not the Chieftains kind of Irish music, we heard more of this Americanized uh, show band kind of stuff. And when we first heard about the Chieftains, my father and I really bonded over it because it sounded so ancient, so fresh. It sounds a little contradictory, but you know what I mean. It changed my relationship to Irish music. I always thought this stuff was kind of cornball. There was something strong about the Chieftains' music that really grabbed me, and we saw them a number of times, uh, my dad and I, and my mom, of course, but the uh, bond my dad and I had over the music was uh, especially strong. My mom and I bonded more over American music. Anyway, one of the things about the song that gets me outside of the, the melody, the beautiful melody of it, is the line, we'll all go together. Uh, it puts me in mind of everybody I've loved and lost, and some of them are family members who've died, friends who've died, bandmates, schoolmates, all sorts of people. And also the people who just... Uh, cut me off permanently family members friends there's a longing for some kind of an alternate life where we're all just together you know that song puts me there i don't really want it i don't really believe in it at all but uh it's a feeling and with that in mind the second thing i wanted to mention was that the version of this song that's commonly performed has a lyric in it that's jarring to me because it cuts against that sentimentality in a bizarre way. Um, 
I'll play it right now. Here's the lyric that bugs me. If my true love, she was gone, I would surely find another to pick wild. What? You know, I, I don't know about you, but that to me, if my true love, you know, is gone, I'll surely find another one. What kind of true love? You know, well, if she goes, I'll get another one, right? You know, what is she, a parakeet? I never understood this. The song is so moving, so touching, so deep. And then he comes out with this. It contradicts to me the whole thing. And it always puzzled me for decades. I'm wondering why this moving song suddenly hits me with this brick wall of um, incongruity. We hate being hit by a brick wall of incongruity, don't we? Of course we do. Uh, better watch it. I was turning into Gus Bodenheim there for a second. But you know what I'm saying. So here's what happens. Um, I kept trying to research this thing and figure it out and find out why this is there. Maybe there's no reason. Maybe it's just like a silly thing. But I know that with a lot of folk songs and things, you know, things are added through the years. Things change. Figured there had to be some explanation. Maybe it could have been figured out. Well, I found out. So the song can be traced to some stuff from the 18th century Scottish and Irish sources. And I'm sure those go back to far more ancient sources, like a lot of these things do. But the version we have was adapted by a musician from Belfast named Francis McPeak. And he lived in the first half of the 20th century. So McPeak adapted it, dedicated it to his wife. And when you see credits for the song, it's credited to McPeak and his son. Okay, so the version that was copyrighted was the version that he apparently collaborated on with his son, but, but they didn't collaborate. What happened was McPeak had dedicated the song to his wife, and then I don't know whether they were divorced or whether she died, but this son was from a second marriage, and he wrote the new lyric for his mother's sake. So in a way, it's kind of sweet in that way. You know, the kid cares about his mom and he wanted her to, I guess, not feel haunted by the earlier dedication. But, nah, come on, no good. Now this raises the question, if I object to this addition to the song, why wouldn't I object to like somebody like me editing that line out of the song? What a tangled can of worms we weave, eh? <laughs> Say if I was in charge of issuing these records and I edited the song, that might be a problem because, you know, that's kind of like censorship in a weird way. But no, no, you know, I'm not a censor. I'm just a guy with a fucking podcast. So I'm going to do what I wanted all along, which is I have that stupid line out of the song. That's that. You know, if you want to hear the other version, the Chieftain's thing is out there. Every other version is out there. You can hear it with the stupid line in there. My version, and I didn't. it wasn't easy to do this. I had to like really reconfigure and play with that. You couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell I edited that. I know. I know you couldn't tell. And it surprised you when you heard that little extra thing, didn't it? I know. So you want to call it censorship? Go right ahead. I call it infrastructure. Well, sometimes you want to edit things. That's another point I want to raise here. Now, a lot of music I select for this show is short. And given that I play a lot of classical stuff and jazz stuff and prog stuff, for example, I don't want this show being taken up, you know, 20 minutes out of a two-hour show by some opus, you know what I'm saying? So I try to put little nuggets. And sometimes I'll play the long thing. I have done that from time to time. But as a rule, I try to keep it bite-sized so that we get the eclecticism happening. 
And now sometimes that calls for doing excerpts of things. I'll fade in and fade out of something or anything. But usually I try to keep things intact for the show. Now for me personally, I'll do edits for myself at home. I make medleys and things like this. That was a good example of editing something that annoyed me. I love the song. I don't want that moment of annoyance to occur when I'm sitting there sobbing like a sad old truck and Irish Mick. So, so another thing was Pearls Before Swine. You ever heard that band? Tom Rapp. He just recently died, I think a couple of years ago. Great band, you know, from the hippie era. They were on ESP Disc Records. They cut a song called I Shall Not Care, which was Tom Rapp's adaptation of a Sarah Teasdale poem. And it's a beautiful piece. But in the middle of it, there's this long extended freakout that has nothing musically to do with the rest of the song. Later on, Tom Rapp re-recorded the song, and it's another nice version of it. But again, in the middle of it, he plumps this completely other thing in there, long freakout. And then they return, both versions return to the beautiful part of the song at the end. So I, I don't want to hear that other shit. I like the song. I chop it out. I, I, I chop it out. I have a version I listen to. Another thing. Genesis. Selling England by the Pound. Nothing against the album, but I really like the way it starts. The first song. Beautiful pastoral English folk feel. And then it gets, you know, kind of jumpy and proggy, and that's fine, but sometimes you're not necessarily in the mood, and I like that beautiful pastoral number. So for my own listening, mind you, my own listening, I chopped the whole album out because the song at the end, at the very end of the album, returns. It's a bookend thing to that beautiful plaintive melody it starts with. So I said, wouldn't it be nice to have that as one song? So I, I did. I take the whole album out, and then, I, and then I like squoze the bookends together. And I did this for my own pleasure. I'm not trying to say these are how these songs ought to be presented. But I'll give you, I'll play them both. I'll play both of them. Take them or leave them. You still got the originals to go to, and I recommend that you do. But... This is what I do. Listen. Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes. It lies with me, cried the queen of maybe. For her merchandise, he traded in his prize.
I was going to play Pearls Before Swine. I'll get to it in a second. But you see, I know Genesis purists are going to be mad, right? I guess. Not that I expect, frankly, a lot of Genesis purists to be listening to Buckaroo Holiday, right? But I'll tell you what I also did. I fixed an edit in there that was a bad edit on the original album that I never liked. The thing is, you could have done it anywhere, right? You could have, I could have configured this shorter, longer... You know, I just wanted to make that one piece out of it. And, you know, I like it. I could have done worse. I could have done this... You know, uh, could have put uh, Peter Gabriel over Nadia's theme like this. Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes. But frankly, uh, that would be nuts. Why would I do something like that? Here's Pearls Before Swine. I shall not care. Lyrics by Sarah Teasdale, a poet who, in the contemporary parlance, had no more fucks to give. Thank you. 
the Will O'Bees. Kind of like that band name. Don't know why. Anyway, the Will O'Bees with It's Not Easy by Man and Wild, great songwriting team. Will O'Bees never really had much luck. They cut Make Your Own Kind of Music, which is another Man Wild song. Became a big hit later on for Cass Elliot. That one there, It's Not Easy, was recorded by a guy named Normie Rowe, which is a great recording. I almost used that one. A little more ham bone. Yeah, they, they, they made some nice records for date records, but nothing really ever caught on. That was a nice one, though. The Hastings Street Jazz Collective from 1976. Before that, with I believe a self-released record, including that song, John Mill, Detroit group, drawing on the example of such musicians as John Coltrane to create an ecstatic music of praise. And as mentioned at top, Pearls Before Swine from their first album on ESP disc, I Shall Not Care. Obviously, they did not care about <laughs> strict musicianship either, and that's fine with me. I mean, one of the things about ESP disc, you know, a lot of people, there's this sort of hobby thing of naming the first punk record. For some reason, people seem to think this is an important thing to pin down. And um, you could make as good a case for the ESP bands as anybody, the Fugs and the gods and pearls before swine even though they all had very different specialties and um, leanings fugs being more into humor and poetry pearls before swine being sort of mystical and folk rockish gods being anarchic and noisy all of them were sort of half-assed musicians as far as that goes technique goes it didn't matter they made great records and that diy thing was as much a uh, root tenet of punk. If nothing else, I think that's the most important thing about punk. It was for me anyway. Very liberating thing and uh, whether the music was loud and aggressive or avant-garde or popish or whatever it was, I think the unifying theme of all that early punk music was, I can do this myself. I don't need your permission. I don't need anybody's approval. I don't need chops. I don't need a record label. I don't need anything. And you know, that's, that's a really worthwhile stance, I think. And of course, these were all bands active in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Always a cauldron of creativity, as was the Lower West Side, or the West Village, as they call it. I remember talking about Biff Rose in here one time. One night, Biff Rose walked me around through the village. We, I was pretty pie-eyed. He was slightly inebriated. And we walked around for hours through the streets of the village. And he would regale me with stories of all these things that happened going back to the early 60s, like pre-Dylan. Quite an amazing world, and his story stretched from that period up through the later era, the psychedelic era. And, uh, you know, it was one of the best nights I ever spent with Piff, for sure. And it brings me to... Tell them about Punky and Jake. Yeah, I'm getting to it. I'm I'm about to tell them. The... um, mythical person that I had asked to whisper in my ear last time has whispered in my ear. So we're going to talk about Bunky and Jake. Now, Bunky and Jake was a duo. It was a couple. Andrea Skinner and Jake Jacobs. They were doing their thing downtown for a couple of years, playing the clubs. They both decided they would probably make better money doing their thing individually. They remained together as a couple, but broke apart as an act. Later on, Bunky and Jake got back together. And you heard one of the fruits of that era of their recordings on the last show. But today I'm going to talk about the band that Jake joined in, I guess, 1965, after breaking up that first incarnation of the duo. And that band was The Magicians. (laughs) 
invitation to cry Invitation to cry to cry kind of cool little record there and it comes from one of the most fertile times for me in pop music which is the 1965-66 moment one of the greatest times and uh, New York was a real spot for great music at that time you had the Love and Spoonful and the Rascals and the Blues Magoos of course you had the Velvet Underground and the Fugs and even the Mothers were working in New York at that time it's the scene that was happening when I really first came into cognizance. <laughs> you know, I was a little kid and my brothers were into this kind of scene, especially my brother Bobby. I still have a real strong sense of the atmosphere surrounding that scene. And if you want to get a glimpse of it, you can see the magicians themselves. They uh, did a show in 1966 for CBS, a show called Eye on New York, which is one of these Sunday docu-shows. And they did a thing called Four to Go, which profiled the magicians, showed them gigging, rehearsing, hanging out. It's a pretty great document. It's a little bit on the phony side, you know. They're obviously trying to make stars out of these guys, which is fine. You know, ambition wasn't uh, a bad thing at that time. If you were a careerist, that was what was expected in the music business. It wasn't until the hippie era where you're supposed to start pretending you didn't care. It's always been a load of bullshit. But anyway, 
It's a great glimpse to that period. You get to see the interior of some clubs that were around at the time, including one called the Telephone Club or something. I don't remember. It's been a while since I saw it, but evidently you could call on a little phone from these booths you could sit in and request songs. So, uh, I don't know. Look, watch the film. It's pretty cool. It should still be on YouTube. Anyhow, one of the things I wanted to do when I first started Buckaroo Holiday, and I did a little bit of it, is to go down some of these rabbit holes of more obscure performers because everybody kind of gets caught up in this stuff you know the big names and everybody knows certain stories you know like like steven stills is sitting in a traffic jam on santa monica boulevard and sees a hearse and thinks to himself hmm i bet that's neil young guy i met in canada only he would be in a hearse and he chases down the hearse and knocks on the window and says hi neil young let's form buffalo springfield you know stuff like this with the really vile stuff that amuses some people. The groupie abuse and drug overindulgence by superstars. I'm more interested in lesser-known stories, just because it gives you more of the texture. Street-level stuff. You know, this boring-ass superstar bullshit. I think you get a, a, a more interesting glimpse of, say, New York in the early 60s, mid-60s, from the magician's perspective than from Bob Dylan's perspective, because then everybody's staring at Bob Dylan. I'd rather look around the room. So I'm gonna go into a little bit here on the magicians because I saw that YouTube clip some years back and was fascinated by the feel of it. And I, you know, I liked some of the music and I just wanted to find out, well, what happened to these guys? They look like they really primed for success and never heard of them. Turns out I did. Anyway, there were four guys in the band. Alan Gordon, Gary Bonner, Jake Jacobs, and John Townley. They came together sometime in 64 or 65, I think. They were picked up by Charles Koppelman and Don Rubin. Now, these guys had also been in a band earlier on, around 1960. A band called the IV3 did a record called Yogi. Maybe one of the most annoying things ever recorded. Check out a little bit of it. That's all I can take, really. But anyway, Koppelman and Rubin realized that the real money in pop music was not in performing, but in the other ends of its uh, management, production, publishing, promotion, etc. And they did all this stuff, picked up the Love and Spoonful, that was their first real big score, and they handled the magicians. And for whatever variety of reasons that are probably just the typical ones, the magicians didn't last long, they broke up. Alan Gordon and Gary Bonner established themselves right away, along with Koppelman and Rubin handling them, as songwriters. And they did songs for The Turtles, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, uh, Three Dog Night did some of their stuff, The Great Great Orpheus covered their stuff. So they were pretty much set with that stuff. Uh, Happy Together was the first huge breakthrough, and you know, there were a few huger pop songs, or longer-lived pop songs. As for Jake Jacobs, he and Bunky began performing again together and recorded several Bunky and Jake albums. And then eventually he formed uh, Jake and the Family Jewels, a band that went through many incarnations and I guess maybe still exists in some form or another, or occasionally so. 
saw them open for NRBQ and they were a kindred band. Jake has also written with Terry Adams a number of times and performed on NRBQ albums as well. And by the way, NRBQ, uh, I got a special coming up, a commission pertaining to them. The fourth member, John Townley, opened up a studio, Apostolic Studios. It was the first uh, 12-track studio in New York. It was on 10th Street. It was about the hippest place to record. It predated places like Electric Ladyland. And you've heard a lot of people who recorded there on this show. Lesser-known acts like Archie Whitewater and Everything is Everything. People you haven't heard on the show maybe yet. Silver Apples, Grateful Dead, Larry Coryell. Mothers of Invention recorded there, including the magnificent Peerless album, We're Only In It For The Money. So, good for John Townley. And I think he's still active. He's still, he does sea shanties now. As far as uh, Bonner and Gordon, Alan Gordon died in like 2008 or something like that. Gary Bonner hooked up with Kenny Vance, who we know from his association with Jane the Americans and Steely Dan. Banty did called the Planetones, which is a kind of a throwback, doo-wop type of group. Bunky died maybe in the 90s. I could be wrong. Jake's still performing. So let's hear some of that latter-day fruit of their stuff. I'm going to play a track written by Bonner and Gordon. And I'm pretty sure it was originally recorded by a band called the Parrots. It was also recorded by a band called CC and the Chasers, but the hit version, such as it is, it wasn't really a hit, but the most well-known version was by a California band called the E-Types. And that version I got hip to from a movie called Blonde on a Bum Trip. Great exploitation piece of crap that you might want to check out. So you're going to hear the E-Types doing Put the Clock Back on the Wall. And an album that John Townley did called The Family of Apostolic. This was, I think, in 1968 or 69. Very strange hippie type of album. And I'll play that track from him. And I'm going to play something from Jake and the Family Jewels. So here's a few of the places the magicians wound up. Starts to worry about your mood Starts to wonder why the clouds are in your eyes You can tell them it's the flowers Or the cinder in the air But don't let on what's under your disguise the wall. 
what's there to live for? Who needs the Peace Corps? Think I'll just drop out. I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig, and sleep on Owsley's floor. Walk past the wig store. Dance at the Fillmore. I'm hippie and I'm trippy, I'm a gypsy on my own I'll stay a week and get the crabs and take a bus back home I'm really just a phony, but forgive me cause I'm stoned Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. First, I'll buy some beads. And then perhaps a leather band to go around my head, some feathers and bells, and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house, that's, that's what I will do, I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band, because the groups all live together, and I will join a rock and roll band, I will be their road manager, and I will stay there with them, and I will get the crabs, but I won't care. Frank Zappa and the Mothers with Who Needs the Peace Corps, from We're Only In It For The Money, recorded at Apostolic Studios. Before that, Jake and the family Jules with Lake Louise. The family Apostolic before that with O Splendor. And the E-Types put the clock back on the wall, memorably featured in the film Blonde on a Bum Trip. Hope you're not having a bum trip on this buckaroo holiday. You're probably sick of the magicians by now. Probably sick of the mid-60s. Probably sick of my yapping. I hear you. Gonna just play a bunch of music now. A whole bunch of music. Incidentally, the show's a couple of days late. It was supposed to go up Thursday. I had hoped to, but it's been a pretty rugged week. Let's hope for a better one. Here's music. Stop making taxes, no chance in hell 
plenty of a time to love each other We can really make it if we try If you wanna love and love each other Plenty of a time, a time to fly She's got some lovely daughters But in beauty none can fell with thee Like the sound of music on the waters Is the sound of your sweet voice to me Wake every morning feeling just fine Knowing through great skies the sun will shine Hen, 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 hen,
Dolores Keene and John Faulkner with an example of mouth music entitled Mouth Music with Fran Breen on percussion. A little of that old Irish, whatchamacallit there, preceded by Plenty of Time by The Scaffold, Mike McGear, Roger McGough, and John Gorman, an unusually straight number for them. Their stuff was usually more humorous or poetical. Bird Songs of the Mesozoic, one of my favorite all-time band names. Out of Massachusetts, Shiny Golden Snakes. And starting with Chris Mars, Get Out of My Life, from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. I really loved that album. I played another track from it a long time ago on the show. I like it better than any of the Paul Westerberg stuff, personally. And Chris Mars and I corresponded for a while. Didn't really talk about music. We talked about our brothers and their respective mental issues. He's a very compassionate guy, Chris Mars, and now he paints, mostly. I don't think he does music at all anymore. You may know about the mysterious tale of Connie Converse. I was first told about it by David Garland one night, hanging out at his apartment. And uh, it knocked me out when I heard this music. At that point, it was unknown. The tapes were sent to David Garland by Gene Deitch, or Deitch, a uh, cartoonist who knew Connie Converse, and he had all these recordings, and he wondered if David Garland could do something with them to spread the word about her work, and he did. Now it's fairly well known. That night, it was a bolt out of the blue. I uh, had never heard anything quite like it. Look her up if you want to know more about her. It's a fascinating and frustrating tale. A disappearance, seemingly deliberate. Uh, Jim Sullivan was another one that sort of vanished. And here's the thing that struck me that night and still haunts me, one by one. We go walking in the dark. We go walking on. 
one by one, one by one in the dark. We go walking out at night as we wander through the grass. We can hear each other pass, but we're far apart. Far Somewhere 
around through the skies. Zoom, 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 they will be orbiting you. Let's orbit the moon and we moon, moon, moon. I'll orbit, dome it round and round through the stars, skies, sail. Zoom, here they come, there they go, they are flying, speeding at 982,000 million miles an hour. <laughs> Man, they're really flying. Softly, you 
Creating composite sounds. Composite. Composite. Here is the same composite sound made into an ostinato tape loop and played back on a tape recorder with a variable speed motor. That was one Herbert Deutsch from Synthesis, a little record he put out in 1976, showcasing some tape experimentations that he did. He's an electronics music pioneer, another one of those, and uh, an educator from Hofstra, I think. On that little looped bit there, it sounds like he's saying Huffpo, Huffpo, which would make him another kind of pioneer, a seer even. But the wrong kind, if you ask me. Just kidding, he ain't saying Huff Poe. Just sometimes you hear things that ain't there. And I wish Huff Poe was not there. Now, if I find something he recorded where he's looping BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed, then, you know, things will get creepy. Before that, a piece called 5-4. You know, like the time signature. It's from an album called Ocean Sounds by I Am The Morning, one word from 2018. Yeah, fairly recent. Recorded during the Trump administration. Oh, God, I remember it well. And some of you might find significance in the fact that these guys are Russian. That's right. Put it together, right? Russian act. Recording that album during the Trump administration. (laughs) 
Oh boy, somebody's got to look in. We need a Senate subcommittee. We need a congressional uh, inquiry. Come on, folks, help us out here. See, what we need right now is it. Look! Oh, look, it's, it's Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters coming to help us. Ooh, look at Schiff. Schumer. Oh, there's Nadler. And what's this I hear? It's a tiny car. And who are all these people tumbling out? Booker. Rono. Swalwell. All right, I'll stop. Anyway, I was telling you about I Am The Morning. Again, a Russian duo, Mariana Semkina and Gleb Kolyadin. And you can get that on Bandcamp, and you should. To me, there's like a Kate Bush thing going on there. Doing a sort of a proggy thing. It's nice, I think. But, you know, Bandcamp, you should patronize these people if you can. I do. I don't know them. I just think it's good. Pretty cheap, too. Get a lot for your entertainment dollar, I'll tell you. And not from Bandcamp, although he had a band, O'Rooney, and he was Campo Vouty when he wanted to be, Slim Gaylord, the great, great Slim Gaylord, with a characteristically idiosyncratic, and you're like, oh, I'm syllables, <laughs> characteristically idiosyncratic take on how high the moon, and man, I only can guess how high Slim Gaylord was on that take. I love him. I love him. Uh, before that, getting back to Bandcamp, Lillian Rosarian with a little bit of hauntology from 2019's A Day in Belle Bruit. Lillian Rosarian is, again, somebody I don't know, but from New York. And if you like The Caretaker and that type of stuff, this very eerie, broken up, abraded kind of sound think that's a really good one it's very rich and at the top the wonderful lost connie converse song has uh some qualities to it that you don't hear too often in juxtaposition you know there's a a deep deep loneliness and a radiant kind of a hope to it um a very tender, touching quality without really being sentimental. It's a really artful piece of work, and she was fantastic. If you read up on her uh, and hear about her disappearance, you'll wonder what was behind it and what became of her. I hope wherever she disappeared to, it was a pleasant path she took. And if it was oblivion, rest in peace.
Brandy's coffee brands around Brandish a one with a feathery tongue Kiss the ground I was half the way down Treading the sand Please 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 lift a hand I'm only a person With Eskimo chain I tattooed my brain Standing alone in the snow 
the American composer Ron Nelson with a piece called For Catherine in April. Ron Nelson's from Illinois, and he's one of these composers who was fortunate to be involved with the Eastman Rochester School in New York State, where Howard Hansen and Frederick Fennell recorded a lot of, well, various composers, but also a lot of composers who were students and faculty at Eastman Rochester for the label Mercury Living Presence. And if there's one label that I love the sound of their records the most, it's Mercury Living Presence. Those LPs are just beautiful. And because a lot of these associated composers were featured on those albums, their music has been heard by people like me, as opposed to a lot of other academics who have probably reams of scores that I'll never hear. And you heard the great American folk song, Poor Wayfaring Stranger, sung by the magnificent Joe Stafford, talked about her before, and her brilliant husband, Paul Weston, who arranged that, as with most of her stuff. Before that, Epic Soundtracks, who was originally in the band Swell Maps, unfortunately deceased. A couple of albums of beautiful, lonesome-sounding music. There's a song, Sad Song, about Caroline No by Brian Wilson. And we had Felt from 1984, a song called Red Indians. And for those of you whose uh, sensitivities and whose morality are far more developed than my own, I recommend that you refer to that song in the future as the first song from Felt's Splendor of Fear album, and that'll make everything foodie mixtrosy. And it started off with a song and artist dear to my heart, Sid Barrett, from the Madcap Laughs, Dark Globe, Another one I might have played before. At this point, I'm so old and addled, and what can I tell you? you know, it touches me deeply. Wouldn't you miss me at all? Damn good question. And I think we can consider some of Sid Barrett's stuff, if not a lot of it, if not most of it, to be somewhat surrealist. To me, at its best, surrealism touches some very primal emotional stuff. And sometimes stuff that's very difficult to name or to define, and that's really the kind of purpose of it in some ways to me surrealism if all of it was just to evoke something strange and disquieting for its own sake I don't think it would have much value I think it does reach areas that are a little more inaccessible to words conventional words and music and images and if you like music that touches the surreal you might want to check out an album by Los Lobos called Kiko here's a track from it Behind the glass. Oh, mm-hmm. 
There's a pleasant little song called Sarah by Alex G. I think it's from 2012. Not sure. Don't know a lot about Alex G. My daughter was online staring at her phone on like the TikTok or one of these things. Then I heard a snippet of that. And I said, hey, what is that? And it was Sarah by Alex G. So I like it. It's kind of nice. I don't know anything else about him. That's that. Before that, you heard an early track by Split Ends, who were very big in the 1980s doing this very melodic pop stuff. When they started out, they used to wear this weird clown makeup and did a kind of a art pop. Sometimes it sounded a little Roxy music-ish, and sometimes it sounded a little proggy. That was called Titus. From the album Mental Notes, which was the first album of theirs, I think, to get wide release in America and Europe and England. They did have some stuff before that that was more acoustic and Stackridge-ish back in New Zealand. Stackridgean, maybe? Yeah, Stackridgean. And as I mentioned, Los Lobos from the Kiko album, Saint Behind the Glass, which I guess is not as surreal as I made you think it was going to be. The album touches into surrealism. Uh, maybe not that song so much, but I just think it's a terrific song. Album's worth hearing. I'll probably hit you with another one. I'll, I'll play you one of the more um, eerie, strange pieces. Maybe Kiko and the Lavender Moon, which was the single they released from that album. That'll be on an upcoming show. 
because this show is a wrap. That's right. Well, I'm done. Hope you liked it. Godspeed from Buckaroo Holiday. This is all wrong. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money. How dare you?
vado dietro, 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 mi avvicino, mi avvicino, mi avvicino, mi avvicino, sono molto.